Welcome to the Travel Like a Boss podcast, where we interview location-independent entrepreneurs that travel the world like a boss by being their own boss. Here's your host, Johnny FD. Hey guys, it's Johnny and welcome to episode 192 of the Travel Like a Boss podcast. I am here in Kathmandu, Nepal with Mac, aka Tyler Fox. Or is it, it's Tyler Fox, aka Mac. I guess it depends who you talk to. Yeah. <laughs> or Tyler, the uh, Mac Daddy Fox. New, new uh, trail name. Sure. From from here on out, that's what I'll tell people my name is. <laughs> I love it. All right, so... Uh, we just met here in Kathmandu at a guest house and I saw Tyler blogging and he has a blog called halfwayanywhere.com. So you guys can check that out. And he has a pretty interesting life. So how did all of this start? Ooh, um, depends how far back you want to go. Like, Let's go way back, way back in time. Like what, what made you, like what was, like what made you st- start hiking? Cause you've done now the continental divide trail, the Pacific crest trail and all these crazy hikes. So I'm here in Nepal to do the beginner's trek, which is the Annapurna circuit, which a lot of you guys listening at home would consider an insane trek because it's 19 days long. What mine is, it's 16 plus days long and it goes up to 5,000. What was it? 50, 5,400, 54 something meters. Which is how, what, what is that in feet? Ooh, it might be 18. I think five five is eighteen thousand slow eighteen thousand close to eighteen thousand feet. So this is like a pretty intense hike that I'm going on, but you've been on some like even top level more crazy craziness things. Like what what got you into that? So probably the first big hike I did was the Pacific Crest Trail. That was my first time I think overnight backpacking. Definitely my first time solo overnight backpacking. So if you guys aren't familiar with what the PCT is, it's Kind of similar to the Appalachian Trail, which if you guys have heard Chris's, Chris Cage's episode a few episodes back, it's like, what's the kind of the differences between the PCT and the, and the AT? Because they're both like these long through hikes, right? Yeah. So the AT is on the East Coast, goes from Georgia to Maine, and it's uh, 2,100 miles long. And uh, the PCT goes from the Mexican-California border to the Canadian-Washington border, and it's about 2,600 miles long. And uh, I basically decided to hike it. I had moved to New York, quit my job, and was working at a friend's bar for the summer. And then I went and I spent some time with him at his house that he grew up at. And I met this guy that lived at the end of his street. He was, like, retired, like, super fit, active guy. And he's telling me about his plan to hike the Appalachian Trail. And I'd never even really heard of the Appalachian Trail. I'd heard of it, but I didn't know what it was. And I was like, wow, you're going to walk from Georgia to Maine? Like, that's the coolest thing I've ever heard. And I had all this money saved up from working over the summer. And I was like... I'm going to do that too. And so I went back to California, started researching, and I was like, there's one of these hikes in California that goes from Mexico to Canada. I was like, that sounds even cooler than that other hike. I'm going to do this one now. So, Yeah, it actually does sound cooler because you're going from Mexico to Canada. So even though it's – I don't want to say it's only 5,000 miles longer because that – 500 miles. 500 yeah, yeah. miles longer because <laughs> that, like, that is an insane amount. But it just sounds cooler going from like country to country. Yeah, the whole Mexico to Canada thing was really kind of put some sort of – next level bit to it like uh but yeah so i mean i hiked that in 2013 and then you know i had a blog just that used to just be about me writing about my whatever i was doing like whatever i found interesting i started it when i lived in brazil i just wrote about funny things in brazil and my mom and my grandma and my dad and a couple of friends read it and yeah i think that's like a big kind of motif that a lot of guests on this podcast 
have done is, you know, we all started blogs kind of just for fun as a way to, you know, really just share uh, photos, stories, you know, just information with friends and family. And I think most people out there, they never really monetize it. It never really becomes a way to continue traveling or to make money online. But if you guys listened to the last episode uh, or two episodes back with Tom and Anna from episode 190, they also have a travel blog uh, more for kind of less hardcore, more for kind of like beginner travelers, people that want to, to, you know, go on these adventures and they're making full-time living now. And now you started making full-time living from your blog as well, right? Yeah, actually just probably end of last year was when I transitioned from this is kind of a supplement to whatever I'm doing kind of thing to I could actually possibly make this a full-time thing. And I figured Nepal would be a good place to kind of play it safe and uh, see, see how it goes since... It's not too expensive of a country to travel in. Yeah, it's a great place to kind of bootstrap as well because it's it's one of those places like let's say you're back in New York or something, right? Like you probably wouldn't be able to live off of savings very long or the blog income, you know, really wouldn't be enough to really like thrive and live a good life. But in a cheap place like Nepal or like Tom and Anna and myself in Chiang Mai, Thailand, where we can live for $1,000 a month, it can stretch a long way and the money we make from our blogs can go into savings and other things. Yeah, and so I spent the last five months or so in New Zealand, and, uh, you know, you can make it, that's one of the things I love about hiking, is it's not, doesn't have to be an expensive thing, you know, you can spend two-week vacation in New Zealand and hardly spend any money if you spend ten of those days camping, you know, it's it's as expensive as you want it to be, so the lifestyle is uh, not very expensive, which is one of the reasons I'm able to maintain it. <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, I guess the, the key word there is, like, we're not glamping, or... <laughs> No, no, and that's that's what a lot of people I think imagine I'm doing all the time is just have this amazing life and everything's always so great and you know you see the pictures that I curate and choose to post and show you but you don't see me crying alone in my tent at night in a storm. <laughs> yeah, or even like the work. I mean, because like literally we're here at a guest house in Kathmandu and you're up at you know seven thirty or eight in the morning on your laptop writing a blog post. And a lot of people don't realize, hey, it's it's not just the Instagram photos of you know seeing nature it's sitting down and actually providing value to other people as well yeah yeah and i mean i put each post i make i take probably way too long to write a kind of thing but um the good thing is i enjoy writing about it you know i enjoy writing about my experiences and trying to share it with people and i'm always trying to write about things that i feel like there's not a ton of information about so that when somebody finds it they'll know exactly what they need to do to kind of go and do that same thing that i've done well, see, I noticed from your blog, it's really different than kind of like the beginner-friendly travel blogs. Yours is more like these are like the the harder core tracks, right? Yeah. So most most of the people that come to my blog probably have found it doing research for the Pacific Crest Trail. And if somebody's going to hike, you know, a twenty six hundred mile trail across the United States, then they're probably going to, you know, you can only go in one direction from there. You know, you're not going to want all of a sudden go back and start doing little tiny day hikes. You're going to be looking for the next big thing. So. Yeah. Uh, which is exactly what I did when I hiked the Continental Divide Trail last year, which is 3,100, or officially 3,100 miles. And uh, that's kind of like the next logical step for a lot of people that do the Pacific Crest Trail. A lot of people actually start with the Appalachian Trail, and then the PCT or the CDT will be the next one. But So do you wish that you would have started with the Appalachian Trail? Or do you cause do you feel like if you did it now, it would be going backwards? I, I don't wish that I had started with it, but now that I've done the PCT and the CDT, I feel like... I definitely don't have as much of a drive to want to do it as I would have if I had done the Appalachian Trail first. But I think one of the motivators for that is just because 
there's so many more people on the Appalachian Trail. And uh, one of the things I loved about the PCT when I did it four years ago now, or, or the CDT last year, was just, you know, there's only a couple hundred people that are hiking the whole trail. And it really becomes like really tight-knit community. Everybody gets to know each other. And Why do you think there's less people that hike the the PCT versus the AT? Oh, it just wasn't as well known, I think. I think the AT has just been around for a lot longer, but... The PCT has definitely it's exploded in popularity the last couple of years. Especially that movie that came out, right? The movie which we shall not name because <laughs> no, no, I'm not the biggest fan of that movie and the book, but it's done great things in terms of popularity for the PCT. Um, what, what was it called? It was called Wild. Wild. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and so, having actually been on that, what are kind of like the? I'm sure there are some things that they like left out. Like, like, are there any kind of things that they? that they like displayed well and then what are the things that were like okay that that doesn't happen or that's not you know that's not realistic oh well i mean the the thing about wild is it's it's more a story about like one woman's like personal journey of growth and development than it is about actually hiking like the hike is kind of like secondary to like her kind of story so i mean it, i really don't feel like it does a great job showing what a through hike is like, but at the same time, if you had a movie just about a through hike, it would, might not be very interesting. Kind <laughs> It'd be of a really long movie. <laughs> it would be very long, very repetitive. Uh, but and there's probably some great documentaries out there about through hiking. But in order to turn like a movie like that into a mainstream kind of Hollywood blockbuster film, it's it'd be tough. Okay, so a lot of people watch that movie and they're like, "Okay, if she can do it, I can do it," it not realizing that it's a movie number one. But <laughs> do you think though that it's like how hard is it to do something? Because like, to, I think to a lot of people right now they're thinking that just sounds insane. Because how many months did it take you to do? Uh, four and a half months. Okay, so four and a half months, and you have to pretty much carry all your own food or have like, is it kind of like the AT where they have it shipped to you? You yeah, you can. So like, you'll be in a town and you'll look at your map and say, okay, the next town is 150 miles away. I think I'm gonna hike X number of miles every day. So it's like 25 miles a day. That's six days. So I need to buy six days worth of food here, and then I'm going to get to the next town, and, you know, you buy your next crop of food. And it's really – people look at it and like, wow, 2,600 miles, that's so long. But it's really just a series of shorter hikes done between resupply stops that are just done in succession kind of thing. You know, you're not okay. on the trail for five, four, and four, four or five months, you know. So then at those um, – at each stop – can you stay in like a motel or something? Yeah. So most, most stops you'll stop in like a small town, sometimes like a bigger city. And you know, you can go to a hotel, you can go to a restaurant, you can have somebody come and meet you and drive you back home if you want. You know, it's, it kind of, you get taken off the trail for a day or two. And, okay. I think mean, yeah. that's nice. It's kind of like a little break. Yeah. Know? No, definitely. I mean, I always tell people my favorite part about through hiking is the zero days, which are the town, the days uh, that you just spend doing nothing in town. <laughs> are, do you ever take like three zero days in a row? Just say like, I'm just going to chill here and watch some Netflix. Yeah, I think, I think on the PCT, the longest, I think I took four or five days off when I got to South Lake Tahoe. And on the CDT, I think we took, I think two days off or maybe three days off was the longest we took. Okay. And what kind of food would you bring for six days for the next stretch until you get to the next town? <sighs> a lot of candy, first of all. Uh, you got a stove, instant noodles, dehydrated mashed potatoes, bring lots of dehydrated fruit, tortillas, cheese. I didn't know when I first started hiking the PCT, but you don't really have to refrigerate cheese. Just gets a little bit sweaty if it's hot outside. <laughs> Makes it easier to cut. Bottle of sriracha, definitely, to put on everything. And, uh, 
just nuts. It's it's really just whatever's lightweight and high in calories, you know. Oh, nice. So what I like about the, the track that I'm doing on Underground Circuit is we're staying in tea houses every night. So every night they're gonna basically cook us dalbot, which is what like. Yeah, honestly, tre- <laughs> trekking in Nepal is pretty luxurious. Like you don't have to carry food. You stop in a village. You sleep in a bed. <laughs> they got a stove going. So uh, when I first came to Nepal, I really didn't know what to expect, and I thought it was gonna be like, well, Himalaya, like. But it's actually pretty nice. It's pretty comfortable. Like anybody can come to Nepal and trek if they want to. There's there's plenty of stuff for everyone. So when was your first time to Nepal? First time I came here was over uh, Christmas, New Year's, 2014 to 2015. And was that before or after your other two hikes? That was after the Pacific Crest Trail. Okay. Yeah. So you had done this crazy, you know, four and a half month PCT hike where you're carrying everything with you. And then you get here. And then which hike did you do first? Uh, the first hike I did was Everest Base Camp. Okay. So to most people listening right now, that's already like the pinnacle. You know, that's like the hike I'm preparing for for next year. How did that compare, though, to the PCT? Um, I mean, the PCT is way tougher. I, I tell anybody can do Everest Base Camp. Like, if you take your time, acclimatize, um, you don't really have to hike too many miles every day. I would end up finishing at, like, noon. And oh, then, really? Okay. But you, I'm, I'm assuming you're a pretty fast hiker. Yeah, but it's like I would even try to slow down and try to, like, you know, take in all the views and everything. But it's because uh, you can only go up so high every day because you don't want to gain too much elevation too okay. quickly. So, like, tell me about, like, a typical day. Like, what time would you wake up? Um, how many hours would you hike? And then, yeah, like, what what was a typical day like on the Everest Base Camp hike? Yeah, so typical day, wake up, go downstairs in whatever lodge I'm staying in, get a hot breakfast, get some tea, start hiking. I'd start hiking at, like, I forget what time I was getting light. Let's just say, like, 6 or 7 a.m. Why do you have to start so early, then? Like, can't you just, like, sleep in and then, like, you know, start finishing by, like, you know, noon or 2 p.m.? Can't you just... Push well, back. Well, the thing is, you start early, but you go to sleep early, too. Because, you know, the sun goes down, gets dark. You know, they only leave the lights on in the lodge for so long. You know, a lot of, a lot of times, if it's crowded, the guides and the porters will sleep in the, the common area of the lodge. So you can't really just be hanging out there all night. So I noticed that my, my porter doesn't have a sleeping bag. Like, is that like is that normal? Or do they just... Are they okay with the blankets up there, or what? That's probably... I didn't have a guide or... A, I haven't used a guide or a porter in Nepal yet, but... uh yeah, the lodges all have blankets too, so you don't even need. Like, I was there in the winter time, right? And I had a minus twenty nine degree Fahrenheit sleeping bag, and uh, I was super warm. But I would meet people, and they had like you know a ten degree sleeping bag, and they would just ask for a bunch of blankets. So, so that's I think what excited me about coming to do these hikes is the fact that it's long, so you can have the time to kind of get away and you know really like get into nature and think and you know have like this big challenge but it also seems like it's one of those challenges where as long as you you know are in okay physical shape you know uh personally i've been training for it because when i did the highest mountain i've I've done so far is mount kinabalu in borneo which i think is four thousand meters which is fifteen thousand feet and i died on that man like i like probably halfway up my body just kind of was like you know you're not in shape for this you just can't do this anymore and i think what one thing that made it hard really hard as well especially for me is it's only a two-day hike so you're gaining elevation really quickly uh i wonder what it's going to be like here on the annapurna that it's 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 much higher uh at what a thousand you know something more um more meters or 100 yeah yeah like three thousand more feet from yeah 
Yeah. But it's going to be over more days. Like, like, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, man, I, I think it'll be easier. I mean, it's definitely tough, like, when you get up that high. Like, you can really notice the difference in elevation as far as your breath and your breathing. And each step definitely takes a lot more effort, especially when you see even just the slightest incline. You know, if, if you can feel that uphill, it's it's tough when you're, like, up above 5,000 5, meters. Like, you feel the elevation. But, uh, you know, like I said, you only have to go so far every day. Like, I I can't... Gorak Shep is the last village right before Everspace Camp, and I think from Gorak Shep to Everspace Camp and back, it's definitely under 10 kilometers. So you literally have all day to do 10 kilometers. So you can be walking... But you're doing 10 kilometers at how many feet? <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, 17,000 feet or whatever. So you, I, yeah. you, you could go half a kilometer an hour. I guess 20 hours would be a little long, wouldn't it? Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> what, that's pretty slow. Half a kilometer an hour. But, you know, one kilometer an hour... And you're not gaining too much elevation, so I honestly I think the idea like Everest, Everest Space Camp, Nepal, Himalaya, it's it's all very intimidating, especially to people who haven't really done a lot of hikes. But I would recommend you know to anybody. I mean, obviously you need to be in some. You don't need to be an Olympic athlete to come and do this kind of thing, though. You know, you should be in shape, but you shouldn't let all of these big mountains put you off it's it's beautiful out there yeah i definitely think it, it should be a goal for everybody like and it's so affordable as well like it's it's i mean nepal is cheap yeah and like i would definitely also recommend to people to avoid paying like five six thousand dollars ahead of time via the internet um because you can get here and you can go to everspace camp easily for under a thousand dollars yeah so what yeah what's crazy is i i feel bad for a lot of people who book these old kind of overpriced tours online and but here's the thing is i'm actually honestly i've been kind of torn right because i was like okay originally i was like you know what um i saw those prices like three thousand five thousand and i was like yeah that's you know that that's that's so much i'll never be able to go and then i, re- I realized that those are only like the super commercial places where you can book on place like bookmundi.com or something where it's kind of like a, a smaller local guide shop and at least so Everest Base Camp is cost more because you have to fly, most people fly to to the beginning. Yeah, and it's like between three and four hundred dollars round trip for that ticket for that flight. Yeah, okay. so I would imagine people are spending what like fifteen hundred bucks or something. You know, if if they go, I don't know. Actually, I have no idea. I'm, I'm not going to talk about that, the prices, <laughs> but I'll talk about Annapurna Circuit because I've been doing a lot of research on that. And if you just kind of go with like this big, you know, Nat Geo sponsored tour company you might be spending three to five grand which is way like which to somebody you know who's never been on a hike they might be like okay i guess that's what it costs right you have a, you know you have a guide you have a porter you have food included lodgings included your you know transport but then when you like realize hey this is nepal things are a lot cheaper and you realize okay the guide you know a guide really is only you know a, a good salary from is 25 bucks a day you know and then food is really cheap you know, even high in the mountains, you know, you can spend like five bucks a meal maximum or something. You know, uh, lodging is very cheap. And sometimes it's included for free when you buy food, you know, and, you know, the local transport is really cheap. So then I, I realized doing some research that a good price for having a guide on Annapurna Circuit, you know, trying to join a group is about a thousand bucks. And then you could do it on your own for probably half of that because you're not paying a guide. But I think... For me, at least, I, 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 I'm kind of like in a hybrid where if I was planning this at home w- with like five friends and I wanted to make it easy, I was like, hey, guys, let's just all chip in 900 bucks. We'll just have everything taken care of. We're not getting gouged, but, you know, 
it's taken care of. But then there's a lot of people I've met now, like you, who kind of show up. Like, well, like, how did you plan your Everest Space Camp trek? Uh, I just showed up. Uh, I did actually, I couch surfed with a guy when I first got to Nepal. And uh, I said to him, I need to buy a ticket to go to Lukla, which is the airport that most people fly into to go to base camp. He took me down to the local travel agency. I bought a ticket, bought a map, and then just flew up to Lukla and followed the trail up to base camp. Like, uh, it's pretty straightforward. Like, this time around, I want to go climb a peak called Island Peak, and I feel like I definitely need a guide for this. And I was looking at everything beforehand. I was kind of in the same space I feel like a lot of people are in because this was like new territory for me. And I was a little nervous, like, oh, I think I'm going to need a guide. But if I book something ahead, it's like cost so much money. So I show up at the airport. Really nice guy greets me at the airport. They actually changed the airport a little bit. It's a little more less chaotic now, which is nice. And he got me a taxi and he's like, oh, I just opened this trekking company. And so uh, he sent me down to Kathmandu with like one of his friends. Went to the trekking company, talked to his friend. I'm going to go meet them later today. But it just kind of all works out in Nepal. Like, yeah, I like it. And you know, people here are actually really friendly. Oh, like, yeah. It's actually like a really safe place as well. And I was surprised because, to be honest, my experience with, you know, kind of what I expected, you know, from pl- being in places like uh, Indonesia, Bali, or, you know, kind of places where I thought it would be a similar culture, where people were hassling you and hangling you the whole time and, like, just bothering you, like having a hundred taxi drivers try to rip you off. That I was surprised that didn't really happen in Kathmandu. It was just like a little tiny bit, but it's kind of like like a very mild version of it. Yeah, like it's almost to the point where people are so friendly that you are kind of searching for everybody's angle. And then when you discover that people don't have an angle, you're kind of confused, which is kind of sad because it means like for somebody to be friendly to you means that they must be wanting something. But I've had so many people go out of their way to help me and do something for me and then just be like oh all right you're all good okay bye like and i'm like wow that was amazing this this yeah. person just took 30 minutes out of their day to do something for me and wasn't expecting anything in return yeah what was, was weird is um the so the guest house that that we met at here Kamandu village house is pretty hard to find kind of like it is a little, it's, it's a little tricky to find <laughs> and um actually so why did you stay here like how did you find this place um I've actually, I've always stayed at this other place, and I figured I should kind of stay somewhere else to, you know, be more well-rounded, be able to suggest more than one place to people when they ask me about Nepal. And uh, I think I actually found this place online first on, like, a booking website, and it just had really good reviews, and I was like, oh, looks nice. It was, like, six bucks a night with an included breakfast, and I was like, sounds good to me. So uh, I just booked it, and it's it's crazy how it works out, because literally the guy that came down here that has the trekking agency, his trekking agency is across the street. Oh, it's perfect. So I said to him, do you know this place, Kathmandu Village? He's like, it's right here. And I was like, there's no, no way that can be it. Yeah. But it was. It's, it's random. Yeah. yeah. Well, so my taxi driver couldn't find this place. So we, luckily, and this is a, a travel tip for everyone, is always either screenshot or write down the phone number of the place because they can always call and makes it a lot easier. Like most countries, for some reason, if you give them an address, it doesn't help. Show them a map, doesn't help. Give them a phone number, they call them, they're like, oh, it's right next to blah, blah, blah. Okay. So we got here, though, because – and it was, you know, late at night. It was dark, and they took us around back, and it was like there's nothing around. Some random guy that turns out didn't even work for this hotel just walked me over and then was like, oh, you know, here you go. All right. And he just – and he left without even like – like I didn't even have time to try to give him a tip. He was just like, all right, Bye. 
And, I was, and I, at first, I thought he worked here. And then when I asked the reception, he's like, no, no, you're just some guy on the street. Yeah, no, I mean, and that's that's one of the reasons I love Nepal. Like, I keep coming. This is my third time coming back here, and there's so many places in the world I want to go. It's it's tough for me whenever I kind of have to justify. I'm like, oh, but I've already been there. Should I go back? And I'm like, yeah, definitely going to go back to Nepal. Def- like, no question. It's- yeah, and it's only been a few days for me. But already I can recommend this place and already I know I like it. I, I already know I can come back. Even things like haggling. Like I fucking hate haggling. And I knew that like here was like a little bit of a haggling culture. I was surprised how little it actually is. Like you go, you walk into a shop and there's like a hundred gear shops, something like fake North Face stuff. And I kind of assumed I would walk in, they would swarm me and then like not let me leave until I bought something or just like haggled on the price. But in my like experience so far, you walk in. Sometimes they don't even really acknowledge you. They're just like, "Hey," and then you look around. And then sometimes I walk out. They don't chase me down. Nothing. If I ask how much something is, they tell me a price, and then you know it might negotiate a little tiny bit. But it's never like trying to gouge me or trying to like high pressure sales. Yeah, no, it's definitely not to the point where it's annoying and you're just fed up with it. And yeah, like you said, some people are like, "Hey, come over here, like check out my shop," and. Some people are just like, oh, yeah, Some, sometimes you got to look. You're like, whose shop is this? Like, you yeah. go next door, they're like having a tea. You're like, uh, can I buy something? Is you guys open? Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's great culture so far. Food's pretty good. Oh, man. I love the food. It's delicious. Have you had momos yet? You know what? That's the one thing I haven't had yet, but everyone keeps telling me to have it. You got to have momos. Okay. That's like the only thing I've eaten so far until so this morning. Tell, tell us what a momo is. Uh, well, I always just tell people it's like gyoza. You know, gyoza are? like uh, like Japanese dumplings, kind of. Yeah, pasta stickers. Yeah, yeah, pasta stickers. Sure, is that what we call them in English? Is yeah, that, is that what they are? Yeah. <laughs> okay, pasta. They're pond stickers, and uh, yeah, man, they're filled with anything. You can get cheese, garlic, meat, vegetables, whatever, and uh, you can get them steamed. You can get them boiled. You can get them fried. It's the possibilities are endless. Okay. It's, yeah. So, ironic, I, I haven't had that, but I've had a lot of what I guess people call dalbot. Which is lentils oh. and rice, but Dalbot Power Twenty Four Hour. You heard that yet? I, I've heard that, That's... and I haven't experienced it yet. <laughs> but I've actually been looking forward to it. So even here at the guest house, they serve a Western breakfast. So they serve like toast and a like you know omelet, and then like oatmeal with bananas and coffee, which I think people would appreciate. You know, if they've been here for a long time, they would kind of want. They're sick of eating Dalbot, which. But for me, I'm like, I just got here. I'm like, I want Dalbot like every meal. <laughs> Dalbot every meal is pretty ambitious. <laughs> so what what actually is Dalbot? Can you explain it? Dalbot is oh man, I hope I explain this right. Just my so it's they give you rice, they give you a like a lentil soup, then usually like a serving of vegetables and uh I don't even know how it's like a hard soft very like a brittle hard tortilla kind of thing, okay. like this is bread. And uh yeah, and they give you free refills on it. So that blew it's, my mind, right? Yeah. So first off, it's not, you know, I wouldn't describe it as a little soup. It's more like a stew, I guess, or curry, like almost like a lentil curry, like a dal. Got soup. it. Yeah, yeah it's, it's it's pretty watery. It's, it's it's not really too viscous in my experience. I've, I've only ever eaten it up in the mountains, though, okay. so I don't know what it's like in Kathmandu. I haven't had enough of it to, to explain it, but I'm sure I'll be an expert by the end of these <laughs> next 19 days. But um, I was surprised. Like the first night I got here, I walked into some random hole in the wall. There was like some 12-year-old kids making roti, which is like the, the Indian-style bread, or I guess Nepalese bread. Oh, that must be the name of the bread that I couldn't remember. Yeah. Well, no, I think the I think what you're talking about is like a crisp, like a like a pan, pandam. Oh, it was roti more like naan kind of? Yeah, it's more oh, like okay. a naan bread. So they were making it, 
and there was no, like I'm I was like a little bit outside of the the mall area, the 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 main tourist backpack area, and nothing was open because it was like eleven o'clock at night. I actually the only reason why I went there was I had no cash on me, and luckily I met this random German girl who was like, "Oh, I'll pay for your taxi." But I had way too much fucking luggage on me for some reason. So I was like, I'm sorry to do this, but can we go to my place first? Have me check and drop all my stuff. And then I'll like go to an ATM and give you some cash. And this is a taxi driver you said this to? No, no, it was a, the random German girl. Oh, okay. And she uh, was like, yeah, yeah, sure. Right. And then I was like, you know what? It's like middle of the night. Like she now, like instead of the taxi taking her to her hostel, now like she has to walk, you know, like. 20 minutes or something. I was like, the least I can do is like walk her there, make sure she's okay. So I'm in the middle of nowhere. Uh, I drop her off and I see this super local little alley where it's all Nepalese guys eating. This is a tourist probably never go there. And it's my first meal there. And I sit down and I just kind of point at what someone, someone else is having, which turned out to be Dalbot. Uh, and there's no silverware at this place. Turns out there's silverware at every other place I've eaten so far, but this place, no silverware. So I'm eating with my hand. I'm trying to figure out my possibly with my left hand or my right hand because there's one that is kind of like forbidden. I honestly still really <laughs> unsure on that etiquette. <laughs> so you kind of just follow. If, if unsure, just kind of follow the locals. Or just <laughs> eat like a dog and then you'll be safe. Yeah. So turns out it's your right hand. And I'm eating and I'm like, this is delicious. It's amazing. And then the kid comes back and he like gives me another piece of bread. I'm like, oh, that's nice, right? You know, another roti. And he gives me like another one. I'm like, okay, you know, nice. And then he comes and starts like putting more rice on my plate and then more curry on my plate and then more vegetables on my plate. And I'm like, I'm like really full now. And I like, I wonder how much he's going to charge me for like, you know, these like three portions. And it turned out to be 80 rupees. Which is like 80 cents. Yeah. And it was delicious. Yeah. It's, uh, it's great. Like I said, it's not expensive to travel in Nepal. I mean, first Momo place I went when I got here yesterday, I asked the guy that I met. I was like, you got a good Momo place that you like to go to? He was like, oh, yeah, this place, Everest Momo, right up here. Walked in, got two plates of Momos, 10 Momos on each plate. And the guy said, like, oh, like 160. And I was like, mm, he must mean 1,600 rupees because there's, I was like. There's... So you think it'd be $16? I was thinking it'd be, I mean, I just spent five months in New Zealand, right? So I'm so used to just <laughs> everything being so expensive. And uh, and so I gave him a 500 and I was like, let's see what he does if I give him a 500. Yeah. And he gives me the change. I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. That was <laughs> that was only $1.60. So that's another great travel hack is if you're ever unsure of the price, just give him a, a bigger bill and see what change you get. It surprisingly works better than like double-check your handling. But to be fair, I think some people are going to get disillusioned that food is always this cheap here. Yeah, if, not if necessarily. Yeah, because if you're in like the tour, like last night I ate at a place called like OK2 something, which is like a kind of touristy place owned by some Israeli guy. And that place, you know, you're spending five bucks a meal. Yeah, if you go into a place and it's all foreigners eating, you'll be spending between five and ten bucks. If you go into a place and it's all Nepalese people, you can spend under two dollars and get a solid feed. Yeah. But, you know, overall, like everything's pretty cheap. Combination is cheap. Food is cheap. Getting around is pretty cheap. Yeah, you can take, uh, if you take the local bus to Pokhara, it's like six and a half hours and it's like six dollars. Yeah. Or you could fly, or you could fly for $125. You know, honestly, I was really, I was tempted to fly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll apparently the, the nicer bus is only like $35 or something, like the, the tourist bus or whatever. So I don't have any experience with the buses, but that's still very cheap. Yeah. Like, 
either way. So I can see myself being here for a while. Uh, you're here for three months to bootstrap. I'm here for three months, yep. What, what are your plans these three months here? My plan is to hopefully go up Island Peak these first couple of weeks. How, how long is that going to take? I'm thinking the whole trip's going to be something like 20 days, maybe. Wow. Okay. I mean, I'm going to be hiking in from a lower elevation instead of flying into the mountains. And That's smart. That's a great, great Nepal hack is if you guys have the time, what, so what are the benefits of f- bussing in low and hiking way up instead of flying in high? Uh, well, so in terms of Everest, the Everest region, you would, most people fly to a place called Lukla. The alternative is to start your hike from a place called Jiri, which you can take a bus to from Kathmandu. And I'm not sure in the distance, and I'm not sure how long it's going to take me, but it's like an additional three to six days I'm looking at. Uh, and the benefits to that are, one, you're not spending you know hundreds of dollars on a round-trip flight to Lukla. Two, you're guaranteed to start hiking the day you want to start hiking and come back the day you're planning to come back because flights to Lukla are canceled all the time. Bad weather. They can't fly because you're literally landing on this little tiny airport ship in the middle of the mountains. And... uh Three, it helps you with the acclimatization since you're slowly gaining elevation. You're used to the, you know, you're getting used to climbing. You don't just all of a sudden fly up to, I think, Luke was at like 24, 2600 meters. Uh, so I think Jerry start down at like under 1500, I think. And then also, there's a lot fewer people between Jerry and Lukla because most people fly in. So it's, from what I've heard, it's like a much more kind of Nepali or, you know, local experience than the track from Lukla North since... That's where all the tourists are now. Yeah, and you're supporting that the local economy in these villages that are now passed up because of the airport. Right, yeah. And I, I imagine the people there are probably even more friendly than the people north of Lukla because they don't have just this constant stream of, you know, trekkers coming through all the time. So they're probably much more excited when people do come through, like, oh, great, like, let me help you out. And I mean, not to say that north of Lukla, things aren't good. Everything's great up there, too, from my experience. So Yeah, but I've, asked, I've noticed that a lot. Like in Thailand, for example, if you go to really touristy places like Phuket or, you know, Bangkok, people, you know, they're so used to seeing t- with tourists. And the problem with places that are over-touristy is, you, you know, for every hundred, you know, nice, you know, respectful, kind tourists there are, there's always going to be a handful of dickheads. And when you have that many tourists, you just get a lot of dickheads and people start getting rude. They start kind of, you know, like it's, it's almost kind of like this vicious cycle where uh, people, you know, or they get annoyed by the drunken idiot tourists. So they start kind of saying, all right, well, at least I'm making money from them. So they focus on the money and then they, then the drunken idiots get even more rude because they're like, all oh, these fuckers are trying to just rip me off. They don't care about, you know, like, and it kind of just becomes a cycle where in super touristy places, and unfortunately, even in Thailand, where people are so nice, you know, just like Nepal, where people are so nice, just because it's gone so over, you know, overwhelming with a number of tourists that go, uh, it, you know, people in Phuket, people in, you know, some of the, you know, some of the other kind of super touristy places just become super, like, shady, super rude. And I really hope that never happens. Uh, in places like Nepal or other places, but the kind of travel hack, you know, behind that that you just mentioned is just kind of go to places that are like slightly less um, busy and pl- places that you're appreciated. I mean, I think that's what's nice about our lifestyles where we have location independence, you know, and we're not, you know, on this, you know, two week vacation where we're like we can't even, you know, we can't afford to spend three extra days, you know, going on the the path less less traveled we have to go on the package tour we have to do 
you know, fly straight in. You know, it's, you know, those are the people that I honestly, I don't think it's a good experience. Like I would fucking hate to have a two week vacation and then have to fly, you know, two days, you know, uh, and lose two days and then be like, okay, I got to pack everything in seven days and then and fly home. Yeah. And kind of along those same lines, that's another thing with the, the trail communities or the trail towns along like these long distance trails in the United States is as like the Pacific Crest Trail gets more popular, a lot of the towns it goes through are really small communities, like, you know, a couple hundred people, like everybody knows each other. Everybody knows the hikers. Everybody's usually excited when the hikers are coming through because it means a ton more business. And, you know, with the increase in number of people, there have been an increase in number of dickheads. So, you know, those kind of relationships between, you know, the permanent population and the transient population, whether it's in Nepal in the mountains or, you know, along the Pacific Crest Trail or something, are, you know, it's a fragile thing. And it's really important to, you know, make sure everybody's aware of, you know, you're not necessarily in your home. You know, things don't work the way you want them to work and you can't just be trying to, you know, take advantage of everybody or, you know, you got to, you got you to gotta take care of the community as much as you want them to take care of you kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, we are, we're all ambassadors of the countries we come from as well as, you know, being a traveler, being a tourist. And I really think that the, the best thing we, we could do for our own sanity uh, as well as others, it's kind of spread out a bit more. You know, it's like whenever people all go to the same place, it sucks. Like whenever, you know, like it's kind of like the the best travel advice I can give anyone is if your mom talks about the, the place because she's seen it on TV somewhere, probably don't go there. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, well, a, re- a place that's really high on my list right now is Mongolia. And I honestly don't know a lot about Mongolia, but I love the fact that whenever I tell people who ask me, where do you want to go? I'll be like, oh, I want to go to Mongolia. And people are like, why do you want to go to Mongolia? I'm like, that's why I want to go to Mongolia. Yeah. Because that's your reaction yeah. when I say that. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. I mean, if I'm seeing a constant stream of photos somewhere on my Facebook of the same place, it's probably a beautiful place. I mean, those tons of people go to those places for a reason. You know, it's not it's not like everybody's being duped into going to these places. But, yeah, I mean, they they become victims of their own success, you know, and it they lose the kind of charm and whatever it is that originally made that place so great so yeah I'm, I'm constantly seeking out the less traveled destinations and whatever's going to be the next big thing kind of thing and yeah. i feel like nepal is big but it's it's not it's not huge nepal is definitely still a place where you know it's, it hasn't been overrun by tourists kind of thing i kind of assumed that you know it was gonna be insane here i kind of prepared for the worst like well maybe in because this is kind of we're still in like a shoulder season you know the fall is the really big popular season so like, like october, october november. november yeah 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 and then I think March, April, or April, May. April, May is that's definitely like the the second peak season. But you know, I've always been here in winter, which is a low season just because everybody it's assumes freezing. it's going to be freezing, and it is. But it's beautiful. The weather is beautiful in winter, and uh, you know, I mean, so far I've only been here for a couple of days now, but you know, it seems pretty similar to when I was here before. You know, there's definitely not a ton of people, but yeah, it's it's nice. Yeah, these are my kind of favorite times to go anywhere because it's – so right now it's going to be basically the beginning of March and this is kind of like the beginning of the tour season. So like in – for example, in Thailand, the peak season would be like Christmas. So if you if you land there on Christmas Eve, you're going to probably hate it because it's going to be – you know, everything's going to be expensive. Everything's booked out. Tons of people everywhere. Everyone's stressed. But if you go there in November, like it's the beginning of the great season where the weather is good infrastructure is there everything's running you know buses are running the hotels are open but there's just not that many people yet because they're kind of prepared for it and they're actually excited because as a local you're that that your business is seasonal 
you're excited when you open back up. You know, you're like, I haven't, you know, really made money in three months. You know, now people are coming. Welcome the tourists. Like, let me show you a great time, you know, because I'm excited. Yeah. And that's like kind of like fall is my favorite time to hike places usually because it's cooler. But, you know, that means there's fewer bugs. There might be less water, but there's also fewer people. Um, it's not as hot. You know, it's just like summer's, you know, spectacular for a reason. But, you know, the high seasons are the high seasons for a reason. But, you know, there's always going to be that shoulder season that's going to be just as good kind of thing. So I haven't really noticed that many uh, mosquitoes here, have you? No, no. I mean, I was always here in winter before, so it was very cold. But my memory of Nepal is zero bugs. Yeah. So, man, I'm like excited because I think I'm going to do a big update. I think I'm actually going to probably record some podcasts on the trail. Um, so I'm really excited you know, for all of that. But it's so far. like It's only been a few days. I'm excited. I'm excited I met you because you've now done all these crazy things. And uh, it's it's going to get even more wild, I think. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm very excited to be here this time. And you know, I'm excited for you. I've never been over to Pokhara and Aparna region, but I'll be over there uh, in a month or so. So. I'll definitely hit you up and ask you what you thought of it. Yeah, definitely. So what are your, your plans now with uh, your, your blog while you're here? Are you going to be updating it while you're on the hike? Or how, how, like, what are some kind of tips for that? Uh, well, it'll definitely – I have posts scheduled that I've written already. So they'll be posting while I'm on my hike. But um, I've been pretty bad. This is it's, it's kind of, it's tough to strike that balance between getting out content and doing things because I want to be doing things, one, because I want to be doing them, but two, because – if I'm hiking, it means I'm not staying in a hotel somewhere. And, uh, you know, I have to be staying, usually, generally, staying somewhere if I'm going to actually do some writing. So I'll do some updates from Nepal, but I probably won't actually start posting things about this specific trip to Nepal until later this year. Right after. Yeah. So what are, like, so, like, for me personally, I, I, if I don't write something, like, within a few days of doing something, I completely forget. But you seem like you have a pretty good organizational system. Do you have, like, a journal? Like, how does... Yeah, I have a, a physical journal that I write things in. And, uh, yeah, you know, I'll just write down at the end of every day. I'll go back through the day, you know, put down the highlights, put what I did, put who I met, put the distance, put whatever. And then I take tons of pictures, you know, just pictures of everything because the journal plus the pictures can really jog your memory for each day. So, I mean, I can, you know, I'm writing about the Continental Divide Trail right now. I'm finally going oh, through wow. my notes, finally going through my uh my pictures. So this was, you know, last summer that I did this. And uh, it's, it's incredible, like the detail with which I can remember some of these days. I I can tell you minute by minute, I, oh, I did this. And then I saw this. And then I saw so-and-so. And then we got water. It's So I feel like I got a pretty good system. but And it's probably pretty cool that you almost kind of get to like relive it again, right? It really is. It is It is kind of fun. Yeah. it's uh, And it's more fun the second time around, kind of reliving it in your head because then you don't kind of suffer through the tough parts. Yeah, because... I think the I, – I read a quote somewhere saying um, the best mountaineers or, like, the best mountain climbers are the ones with the shortest memories. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's uh, – I'm looking – I've been looking. I just stayed in Australia for a couple of days, and I was with a friend who I went down to Tasmania with, and we did this hike down there called the Western Arthurs. And looking back on it, we're just like, man, that hike was awesome. It was incredible. so amazing. And uh, just during the time we were doing it, I just remember it was knee-deep mud. It was wet. It was – I was – not happy for a lot of that hike it was terrible but now me now is like oh yeah i would definitely go back and do that again <laughs> yeah and because when you look at the photos you think of the memories it's over you're like okay that was, that was amazing and, and honestly that's my biggest fear right now is that 
I know when I, right before I, I did my big hike on Mount Kinabalu, which was the highest mountain I've done so far. In my mind already, I was like, yeah, I'm gonna do this one, and then I'm gonna do then you know Kilimanjaro, and then I'm gonna do like the other five like big you know the highest peaks. Right. Yeah. And like literally halfway through the hike, I'm like, I'm never hiking again. I'm done. Now it's, it's type type two fun, right? Don't enjoy it while you're doing it. And then afterwards, you're like, that was amazing. Yeah. So let's see how it goes, guys. Keep uh, updated on my podcast, my blog, as well as Mac Daddy's blog, halfwayanywhere.com for some That's updates. Right. Um, yeah. So one thing that uh, we've been doing now at the end of each podcast is oh, no. Surprise. I'm just going to uh, give you the mic for a minute or two and just just, just un just unload whatever comes to your mind like your things that like your favorite things your favorite gear your favorite tips like life tips life lessons or places you have to go whatever you want just just go for it oh man so much pressure you gonna cut me off go as long as you want (laughs) oh man well uh oh man favorite gear right now shout out to uh through pack it's uh it's basically a fanny pack i like to think of it more as an adventure bag but uh it's just these lightweight Fanny packs made by a guy who uh, I think he through hiked the Continental Divide Trail, and it's just this little tiny guy makes these fanny packs, and I I love it. It's like it's changed the way that I hike. It's, you just load it up with all your snacks, everything you're gonna need. What I got in here right now, I got like my hand sanitizer, I got my sunscreen, I got some money, I got my little tiny tripod for my camera, I got a pen, I got my spork, I got a lighter. It's you can just snack all day, don't have to stop. And that's kind of like from the through hiking because the more breaks you take, the fewer miles you're doing kind of thing. But, uh, man, I love it. So through pack, this fanny pack, number one gear. Um, I don't know. What else are you doing? Life tips? <laughs> yeah, like if someone, if someone right now is stuck in a life where they're unhappy, uh, I don't know if you were, were you ever there? Uh, yeah, I was there. Like when I first came back from, uh, when I first graduated college, I was working this job and it was okay, but I was like, what am I what am I doing? Like, I wasn't happy. And then I quit my job and got a new job. And that's basically, you know, what started me down this path that I'm on right now. So, uh, I don't know. Don't, you know, if somebody says to me, oh, I hate my job. I'm like, you know, whatever, whatever. And they, I'm like, oh, so you're looking for a new job? Like, you trying new things? Like, oh, no. I'm like, well, what are you doing? You know, like, it's, uh, you know, just take, take chances if you can. Not everybody can take chances. You know, I was fortunate enough to be able to take chances. Um, and fortunately they all kind of paid off, I guess, cause here I am, but, um, yeah, kind of just, just do it. You know, if you're thinking about something and you're considering and keep putting it off, like just, just do it. Like yeah. that's, uh, that's probably the best advice that I can give people. You know, a lot of people overthink things and then they kind of psych themselves out of doing them. And, uh, it's really, you know, once you get into it, it's probably not going to be as bad as you thought it was going to be. It's probably gonna be a lot better. I like it. And so two big kind of lessons that. I've kind of highlighted from today's talk of talking to you is one is when you have more time, things often end up being cheaper and better. Yeah, definitely slow travel for me is the way to go. But again, that's a luxury not everybody has, you know. I got a friend coming out here at the end of March. He's got one week off. He's going to be here for five days. So we're going to try to pack as much into five days as we can. And those are probably going to be an expensive five days. because And stressful. Know. And probably a bit stressful. Hopefully, hopefully fun. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it'll be fun. But... 
stressful. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, slow compared to being able to travel slowly. Yeah, slow travel is definitely. I mean, I love it. Like, I love couch surfing. I love meeting new people. That's that's like one of my favorite things about traveling. Like, you know, I sat here at breakfast. Some people sat down with me. I met them. Talked to you. Like, it's that's meeting people is definitely. I would say meeting people is top of the list when it comes to traveling for me. Yeah, definitely. And I think everyone who's in this podcast now, they either are location dependent already or they already have some kind of online job or they can take the time off or at least that's a goal for them. So if you, if you guys aren't at that point yet, you can, you know, spend 30 days trekking, you know, and adding an extra five days because, you know, it'll save you the, the cost of the flight and then also um, let you kind of explore lesser known places. How'd that be a goal? How'd that be a goal for 2018 and say, you know what, if I want to take extra five days, I can. Yeah. And I'll also say, oh man, definitely go travel by yourself. Like if you've never traveled by yourself before and that's a, a scary thought to you, like do it because I've been traveling by myself so much now that the idea of traveling with somebody is stressful to me kind of thing. It's it's super liberating to be able to just travel by yourself, puts you outside your comfort zone. You're forced to meet people. You're forced to do things that you wouldn't probably normally do. And it's just a great way to kind of, I don't know, I guess kind of grow. That sounds like kind of preachy, but it kind of is because everything that happens to you is a result of your actions kind of thing. It's not like, oh, well, this was your fault. You wanted to come here. It's No, it's like I chose to do this and, you know, this is what happened. So it's it's great. I love and, it. and you have to take personal responsibility. Exactly. Like yeah. yeah. So another tip I actually learned from you is have uh, laptop stickers. Have laptop stickers. Yeah. Because I, uh, I probably wouldn't have uh, spoken to you if I didn't see that you had a PCT sticker and a CDT sticker. Yeah. Don't don't write off the CDT. Well, you know, here, but here's the thing: is you like the stickers that you have are going to attract certain people, right? Because I've never heard of the seat, like the continental divide trail until now, but I bet you if someone who has heard about it or they've done it or they've been thinking about doing it, they would fix it on that. But like, Oh my God, you're, you know, like, and that's like, uh, it'll attract if, those if, people. If right? I saw somebody with a continental divide trail sticker, I would immediately go up to them and start talking to them. Yeah. No question. So I love it. So, you know, people come up to me because I'm my nomad summit sticker, you know, so whatever, whatever your hobbies are, whatever your interests are, the type of people you want to meet, put that out there, you know, you know, put out the, the, the flag. Yeah, 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 definitely. I mean, and just talk to people, you know, I had yeah. the sticker, but you came up and talked to me. So, you know, everybody's got to, you got to yeah. meet halfway. And I think some people are afraid of that, but I mean, to be honest, like I think of it as like, okay, if you're, if you don't, you know, if you're not gonna be a nice guy, uh, maybe you're, you're, you're a dick or maybe you don't speak English. It doesn't, like I think a lot of people take it personally, and then they're you know afraid to talk to people because of the chance that it's not going to go well. But here's the thing: is like, we really don't lose anything. Yeah, I mean, especially when you're traveling. Like, when are you going to see that person again? Never. Yeah, you're never going to see that person again. So if you have an awkward like interaction with them, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, and the the upside of it is you might end up sitting down for an hour having a great chat. You know, you might record a podcast. Yeah, you never know. You never know. I couldn't yeah. have told you two hours ago that I would be doing this right now. It's it's great. Yeah, that's one of the things I love about you know just this whole traveling and everything. Meet new people. Yeah. So now I'm you know I have on my mind to do one day the Pacific Crest Trail. Maybe we'll see. And I have now I had now I know where to go to to get a gear list and <laughs> read a bunch of posts about it. I it's uh I'm not gonna lie it's a, it's a great resource for the PCT. Yeah. I'll I'll put it out there. Okay, I like I like it, and you know what? Capitalism just kind of like it, it rewards people for putting out good information. So if the information was terrible, 
your site wouldn't be ranking. And, you know, like Google's smart. Like Google knows, hey, if you're if you're putting good information out there that people actually like, people are reading, people are sharing, they're going to rank you higher. And the fact that you are now making, you know, full-time living from your blog shows that you are providing enough quality information out there where other people are like, are actually taking the time to read it. They're sharing it and they're recommending it to others. So, I, you know, I would say that's a, a huge thing I want to draw into people's heads that if you have a blog, don't do it just for the money. Do it first to provide good content and then money will come. Yeah, no, I mean, I definitely, I get super stoked when people email me and they're like, this was so helpful. Like, you know, I don't make, I don't curate my blog for money. I curate my blog to try to help people, you know, because I'm always thinking about what was it that I wanted to know before I did this or what is it that isn't out there online right now? So, you know, that's whenever people email me and they're like, oh yeah, like I, I did this because I read your blog and you know, you, I couldn't find this anywhere and I found it on your blog. That's just like the greatest reward to me. I'm like, yes, like that's awesome. That's exactly why I wrote that. So you would find it and then you would be able to go and do that thing. So I love it. So if you guys took anything away from this episode, let us know what you're going to do with it and share it with a friend. Maybe make a plan to come out to Nepal to do the PCT, to do the CDT or whatever it is. Uh, let us know in either the comments or in our Facebook group. If you guys haven't joined it yet, it's Travel Bosses, uh, the Travel Like a Boss Army. Uh, easiest way to find it is go to travellikeabosspodcast.com. And if you click on there somewhere, <laughs> I don't actually know where it is, to be honest, uh, or just join the, the email list. Um, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put a link to our group on travellikeabosspodcast.com just for you guys. And thanks again to Mac from travelanywhere.com halfway anywhere halfwayanywhere.com halfwayanywhere.com <laughs> mixing up travel like a boss but halfwayanywhere.com thanks again mac appreciate it yeah thank you this was fun yeah have fun on the on your trek and for all you guys listening at home keep in touch on the email list and the blog uh and i will see you guys hopefully out here in nepal we'll get some momos yeah that's it thank you for listening to the travel like a boss podcast if you want to hear more, including the bonus, how to choose the perfect niche episode, join our mailing list at travellikeabosspodcast.com. See you next week. And remember, if you want to travel like a boss, you need to be your own boss. So start your online business today and start living the lifestyle you've always dreamed of.